Welcome to On the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. All right, welcome to episode two of On the Table, A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniature game. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Starks, the Wardens of the North, and some of their units and some of the non-combat unit options. Now, we are going to be talking about tactics cards and commanders in the future. That'll be a separate episode that we can go into more depth with. Right now, we're just going to talk about the actual physical models that you can be putting on the table and playing with. And me, personally, I've been going as a, a sort of a Lannister fan here for a while. Josh, you've been working as the Starks, so this might be more of your specialty area, but I'll try and talk a little bit about what it's felt like on the receiving end of some of these uh, units. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm an expert yet, but with like a, you know, probably 10 or so games under my belt at this point, I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on, on, on what they can do. So let's jump right in here with the, the core of the Stark army, the Stark Sworn Swords. These guys have movement five and their dice line starts at full at four plus to hit, goes from eight to six to five. They've got, you know, pretty average armor, four plus, and morale of six plus. I think what their specialty really is, is that Stark Fury ability. Now, that's going to allow them to get plus one to hit and critical blow. Uh, rolling six is going to give you two hits. And if it does that, after the attack has been completed, unless this unit has only one remaining rank, it suffers D3 wounds. So it's sort of hurting itself to deal out damage. Now, you know, coming from the Lannister side, I love Lannister Supremacy. What's been your sort of take on the Stark Fury rule? I mean, maybe it's just been the dice rolls that I've gotten with it, but I don't feel like I've gotten a ton of value uh, out of that because, you know, without any sort of bonus to, like, let's just say it's a mirror match with its counterpart, right? So you're attacking like a unit of Lannister Guardsmen. I mean, yeah, you're hitting a little bit more often, but without any good way to like punch through that armor, they're still saving like a majority of those. And then on the flip side of that, you're taking D3 wounds and potentially you know, a Lannister supremacy <laughs> uh, morale hit. <laughs> yes. uh, so, I mean, obviously it's a no brainer when you're at one rank remaining and then it's a pretty, you know, sweet little deal there. You know, you're then rolling five dice and then you got critical blow and you're hitting on threes. But generally speaking, I, I skip it unless I'm really trying to lay in with a big effect. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that also happens then is, is if you're relying on that and you're taking that damage onto your unit, you're either putting it in a precarious position where maybe it can be finished off more easily by a unit that's engaged with, or then maybe you're getting sucked into having to take the, uh, what is it, wealth on the tactics deck so that you can refill the, the wounds on that actual unit, when maybe that's not a unit you want to be prioritizing on and focusing on. Exactly. So that's that's the thing. I You know, I, I normally, you know, unless it's really like, you know, the, the unit's all the way down and I can do that for free, um, you know, I, I usually skip it. I mean, I'm, the, the sworn shield swords, um, I'm really just looking to take an objective, sit on it, you know, tie up a unit that's more expensive. I've found that these guys don't tend to hang around very long once they're engaged with something, but they can, you know, do a little bit of chip damage on something more expensive and really just kind of be a pain in the butt. Yeah, that, that's usually what I'm looking to do with these guys. So now you've been, you've been fielding these though on the battlefield. Like the way I've been thinking with the Lannisters is sort of what are my units that are catching enemy units as in their absorbing the blow and then what are the units that are going to be trying to engage and then sort of being the the hammer to the anvil and, and smashing and doing damage are these a worthwhile unit to take compared to some of the other options to just be that unit to no. soak up damage i mean where we are right that's a good question i mean right now where we are i feel like um, there's not really 
anything at this price point besides these guys, right? You're starting to tick up points to go, you know, you're going up one point for a Bowman. You're going up uh, several points if you're going with uh, Berserkers or Outriders. I mean, I would say, you know, Berserkers, Outriders, Bowman, all much, and, and Sworn Shields, all much better options, generally speaking. But the problem I find is that, especially, I mean, we've played most of our games at like a 40 point mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for that, I'm really shooting for like, you know, five combat units on the table and two NCUs. Anything better than that is gravy. I feel like if I went down to four, like if I went with, uh, you know, maybe another unit of Berserker or some attachments here or there, you know, then I'm really starting to chop into my activations. Now, there's ways to counteract that by using some of the units that come with, you know, a, a wolf character that's free. Uh, and that's a way to balance that. But then even then, I like to kind of lean into that even more. And then I'm talking like, you know, if I use Bran and Rob, you know, I can get as many as, you know, seven activations on the table, which is awesome for a 40 point game. And now you're saying, do you think that for the point value, at five points once you start layering on attachments and you're starting to get into that six seven or maybe even the eight point range do you kind of get the sense that uh you know a three-point attachment isn't going to make this unit maybe comparable to a you know berserker unit or yeah okay (laughs) fair enough i don't think i you know the sword and swords i'm waiting for something else to come out that's like five points okay um, to see if i can you know some other sort of filler i mean that's what these guys are is just something else you know some bodies on the field to just kind of be there i don't really expect them to do a whole lot they usually go down pretty hard and fast uh when they're hit by anything big you know so if you charge them with knights of casterly rock or uh, a unit of flayed men they're lasting like one or two turns they can be hit very easily if you get cersei lannister effect out there mm-hmm. and you know they take a lannister supremacy check you know these guys are going to start running away and dying very quickly so you know that, that that's what their role is though right it's just kind of be that rank and file these guys are going to be there to just get on a point and hopefully live long enough to you know make back what they cost you know i'm not really counting on them to to do much and hey, make a really good point there is that on a lot of these objectives the scenarios there are going to be objectives that are static and that you do need to have a unit that just camps on it. And it's nothing more frustrating than having a really specialist army that's going to go out there and kick some serious butt, but you've got to keep one of the units just sitting there on the side holding that point. So maybe these are the perfect uh, unit for that. You wouldn't put a, uh, a sworn sword captain in there for that extra point bumping up to six? I mean, I, I honestly, I mean, as far as attachments go, I really wouldn't put anything in there. I don't find that would be particularly, you're getting a lot of value out of that. For six points, now you're talking, I could get a unit of bowmen. For one more point, I could get a unit of berserkers or outriders, mm. uh, which, you know, are both way better. So, no, I, I, I mean, these guys are really, I like to keep them as cheap as possible, as stripped down as possible. I mean, these are sort of like the, you know, the workhorse of your force, just kind of getting in there and and uh, being annoying by, you know, not dying immediately. So for one more point, you can get the actual Stark Bowman uh, also at speed five, also four plus to hit, but they've got an attack stat of ranged with their arrow volley, six, five, four, and then their short swords are four plus as well, five, four, three. Now their armor goes down to five plus, the morale goes down to seven plus. They can shoot long range, and they can shift. Don't forget about that with your movement. Um, But if they don't shift, they get to roll plus four dice, and they ignore intervening units and terrain. So a little bit of a different role here, obviously, than the Sworn Swords. But how have you found these units to be on the battlefield? Is this something that's kind of a must-include, or is it something, you know, you go that extra point? We're talking about point economy. For one more point, you can get a unit of Berserkers. 
What's your thought on this unit? Uh, I mean, that's a good question. So, I mean, as far as the Stark Bowman go, you hit the nail on the head that, you know, that one point morale difference is pretty big, uh, especially when you're fighting Lannisters. So I think the Bowman, you really want to pick your targets carefully. You know, you can have a serious problem if you shoot at a unit of, um, you know, Lannister guards, even though you're, you know, let's say you're rolling your 10 dice at your max ranks and with the plus four dice for not shifting, you know, there's a very good chance you're going to inflict pretty minimal casualties, right? Because you'll probably hit about half the time, which is about five and then you're saving like two-thirds of the time with your armor so you're going to pick off like one or two guys if they have a guard captain you know they're definitely going to pass their morale check and you're talking you have to roll a nine to not lose anybody i would say the bowmen they're really good at hitting units like the mountains men they like to shoot at any other uh sort of stark units i mean they can be very effective at picking off uh crossbowmen and it's great that they have that ability to shoot over stuff so if you can get them up to something like a palisades or some sort of structure that's going to you know block you out uh, it's a great way to just use these guys to just keep raining fire on other units yeah in particular uh we can get into the firing into combat in a, in a second but uh, in particular, the Lannister Guards, I've thought about maybe there are ways that you can use them to help trigger their order early. But either way you run it, they are the prime target that I want to hit with my Lannister Supremacy because they have the worst morale. And that minus two on the on the bounce back is really going to hurt them the most. So even if you engaged my unit with some Berserkers and then fired into combat, um, I would want to be saving that token for hopefully bouncing that damage back on the Bowmen, not the Berserkers. Because the Berserkers are going to be much more likely to pass their their morale save so yeah i mean i've passed turns where i just don't shoot with them at all because i i fully expect to take more damage coming back than i actually deal which is you know that's that's the thing about these guys is that they can be very effective i think they're a good tool in the toolkit that gives you some flexibility but you have to be very careful uh when you're choosing your your targets with these guys i agree also for attachments then i haven't seen a lot of configurations but what have you been finding the most successful way to to kit these guys out and for these guys i think the most uh you know kind of the obvious one is the Kranigman warden so his ability is opportunist. If this unit attacked an enemy that has not activated this round, it may reroll any misses. Uh, so that's huge, you know, especially for a ranged unit. It's not that hard to trigger this at least a couple times a game. And if you're rerolling misses with 10 dice, I mean, you can pretty much count on a pretty significant number of hits each time. You know, you're talking about going from an average of five hits to seven or eight, which is not insignificant for one point. So I definitely think that's the that's kind of the, the obvious and, and the must-have choice uh, for these guys if you have a spare point. Yeah, and it's, it's only a point. So, I mean, if he's firing into a six-point unit and a unit has, you know, 12 guys in it, that's really what then every every two guys is a point so if you're going to be able to use that unit to kill an additional two models like you're making up the points that you're spending on this guy in combat pretty quickly he's definitely the way to go but not a lot of options at this point now have you thought about putting anything a little bit more tricky in there you know i don't know if you'd want to put like a brandon hodor in there just to get the wolf out and then have them be a little bit more difficult to charge it seems like you'd probably want to save a unit like that for something a little bit more front line yeah i mean the thing is you know brand's ability triggers on uh melee attacks oh you're so, right uh, you know hopefully your archers are not <laughs> not getting into that situation uh, I've used them with the uh, Rob Stark Commander attachment before, which basically just triggers so that uh, if somebody charges a unit within long range, it becomes a disorderly charge. It's just a good way to you know, sort of keep them from getting annihilated in one shot. But you know, for the most part, I'm either going you know just as is, or I'm throwing in that that uh, warden. Because really, all the other attachment options at this point 
really have to do with melee. If you think about the range of a, uh, you know, the, uh, the Bowman or any of the, the sort of long range guys that we have at this point, I mean, it's only 12 inches, which, right. you know, a lot of units, not all, but a lot of them, they can make that up in cut just like basically, you know, a round of movement and a charge because you're looking at your, especially cavalry can cover a ton of ground in one shot. So you have to be very selective about where you place these guys uh, in order to get the most out of them. And then firing into combat. So the rules for firing into combat are when you shoot at gauge units, um, your friendly unit has to make a panic test. On some units like the Berserkers that have a, a really great morale, four plus, that's a pretty great situation to be in. You can tie up an enemy unit maybe that doesn't have that great of uh, an armor save or doesn't have Lannister Supremacy, and you can be dumping your arrows into those units knowing that your unit is going to take minimal damage from that friendly fire. Uh, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're if you're tied up with like a, a halberdier unit with an assault veteran and you know that, you know, when it's your activation, you know, you're going to get to make a pretty, you know, beefy attack against me. Uh, so I want to kind of, you know, start to pepper those guys. I'm pretty much always going to shoot into combat if that's my option, you know, unless there's something way better out there. And unless the unit that I'd be shooting at would have Lannister supremacy, uh, I'm definitely shooting into combat because for the most part, the Stark morale is, is pretty good. So you shouldn't lose too many guys. So it's usually worth it to just, you know, give it a shot and see if you can put some hurt on them before they can hit your hit your guys. And on the other end, so we got our range units here then. Really one of the units that's been making a lot of noise on some of the local tournaments and also uh, people talking about online, and I've definitely been on the wrong end of, are the Stark Outriders. These guys have movement 6, and their melee attack 4 plus to hit, and the stat line is 8 and 5. They've got armor 4 plus, so not quite as heavily armored as, as the, the Knights, Knights of Casterly Rock. Rock. Their morale, morale is 6 plus, and they've, they've got, got this order swift retreat. retreat. At, At the, the end, end it, uh, after this unit is attacked, attacked with melee, this unit may make a free retreat action, and you know they've got the cavalry wounds, they've got rapid assault, but really, um, that order, Swift Retreat, you've used that to, to devastating impact. And that really gives awesome. so much flavor and maneuverability and, and tactics to this unit. It's, it's really something I underestimated when this first hit the table. I mean, these guys are the definition of hit and run. Uh, you know, I think Michael Chanel, if you listen to his podcast, which I recommend that you check out, uh, you know, he always recommends like, you know, Outriders should always be in the flank. And I couldn't agree more uh, with their movement of six. Uh, you know, they get their free maneuver uh, for being cavalry. Uh, you know, it's pretty easy to get around the sides. And if you, you know, if someone does manage to, you know, get these guys off on a charge, uh, then you could just make a free uh, retreat action and, you know, you can go either back or to the sides. Uh, which, you know, if you can, I recommend <laughs> to the side because uh, then you're just going to be already pointing at their flank for your next activation. Uh, so you can do some really awesome, tricky stuff with these guys. Uh, they don't have like a good native sort of damage dealing ability. You know, they only hit on a four plus. Uh, they don't have like sundering or anything like that. But since you're probably almost always going to be attacking in the flank, you're basically going to have like a built-in sundering effect with rerolls uh, on your charges. So these guys can do a ton of damage and really disrupt enemy game plans by hitting guys in the, in the flank and in the rear. Now, you've taken these in a variety of different ways, but um, at seven points, um, they are a little more flimsy than some of the other units you can get for a seven-point uh, investment. But really, their maneuverability, being able to get out of combat, gives them a lot of survivability. You can double down on that. And Brendan Tully, you've, you've used this against me, uh, the Vanguard Infiltrator. Not only can you hold one unit of Stark Outriders off the table instead of deploying them, uh, you can also have that ability regroup, which is something I underestimated and actually makes this unit rather difficult to deal with. Uh, so each time the unit makes a retreat action, it may restore up to D3 plus one wounds. 
And uh, which way do you prefer running these, or what sort of tactics do you envision using with that ability? I mean, so these guys, I just like to use them to to just get in into the flanks. You know, try to hit like a uh, um, a unit of ranged guys. So if you have like crossbow men. If you have halberdiers where I can charge you in the flank or the rear, if you even have like, so like the mountain that rides the, the single unit, mm-hmm. um, you know, I hit, I use these guys against him by getting around behind him and, you know, D three plus wounds. That's basically a full model back every time that you do that. So, uh, you know, you're talking a minimum of two wounds as much as four. So these guys have like a pretty good amount of survivability. And if you start getting in trouble, you can start making your retreat actions, which one of which would be free every time you're attacked. So you're pretty, pretty much always recovering at least two wounds after combat so the one thing i think you have to be careful with these guys is if you're making a charge on something with lannister supremacy (laughs) not to not to bring that up too often but (laughs) uh you know I feel like that's the way that these guys get hit most often um, is uh, on their attack against a unit that can trigger that ability. So like their counterpart, the Knights of Casterly Rock, or if you have a unit of uh, Lannister Guardsmen, if you, even if you charge them in the flank or the rear, if they have a you know a guard captain, they're going to pass that test and then you're testing at an 8+. plus. So then you can take some wounds there. Uh, and it's not triggering your uh, retreat ability. So that's the only thing. You know, once you throw that Brendan Tully in there, that's a ten-point investment, which is as expensive as uh, the most expensive units in the game at this point. So you have to be careful. You can definitely get their value out of that, but you got to make sure that you don't get these guys tied up by multiple units. You want to make sure you're using that retreat action, and you want to make sure that you're always hitting the flank. Yeah, I found them a little bit infuriating to play against in that. Um... You know, really having to do enough damage to them before they get away and and start healing up, and even if you only get away and you heal two wounds, maybe um, you can still use the tactics board and be moving them around and re- regenerating them uh, without having to pick any fights they don't want to be in. And uh, there's definitely been those game modes where towards the end of the game, everything's starting to get worn down, and that unit's running around harassing me, and I don't know <laughs> if I can. It. Do I chase them down or do I focus on you know cleaning up another unit? Uh, knowing that they're going to come back and, and hit me in the rear. I mean, that's the thing. And, and also, you know, let's not forget, too, that you have Brendan Tully's uh, ability called Outflank, uh, which is holding them off the table. Now, I've only seen this used once in person. Uh, my friend Kaz was running Starks, and I was running the Lannisters, and he deployed uh, their Stark Outriders on the table. Now, it is their activation, and you do it at the start of a round, not a start of a turn. So you can't do it like the middle of a, a game round. So you're putting it out there before your enemy, your opponent has moved any of his guys. So he threw him in the back of my line thinking, okay, well, this is going to be great. These guys are going to just, you know, run roughshod over everybody. But then I was able to just kind of, you know, use the maneuver space and start turning my guys in uh, and just mowed them down because he was all alone in the back of my field. So you have to be really kind of judicious with your use of that ability. You'll want to have something kind of queued up to then allow them to move or charge um, you know, once they have been deployed to the field. So you'll want to have like a tactics card in hand or, or you know, think about claiming the maneuver space, things like that. But we'd say with the Stark theme, maybe being maneuverability and combat, uh, those guys definitely live up to the 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 name. Uh, maybe the only thing else that stands out to me as really being fast are the House Umber Berserkers. Uh, so they've got movement of six, same movement range as a cavalry. Now they don't have... Um, the cavalry rules that gives them a free maneuver, but movement six, stat line three plus, and their dice go eight, nine, ten. So they actually get much better as they get hurt. Their armor is only five plus, their morale though is four plus, and their berserker axes with sundering, giving the defender negative one to their defense save rolls. Uh, that's been problematic for me at times. Uh, and I know <laughs> you've gotten a lot of work out of your berserkers. 
Uh, so maybe let's let's hear some of your your secrets to success with that because man, this is a unit that terrifies me when I see it coming down the board, running through spike fences, taking damage, and just getting ready to chew through something. One hundred percent. Yeah, these guys are like some of the most fun units to play. Uh, they're super scary. They have to be dealt with, uh, and they're just you know they're they're so fast for uh, an infantry unit you know they're basically running as fast as cavalry they just don't get the free maneuver you know i like to use them for example you've got that swift advanced tactics card uh in the stark deck which allows you to uh make have an infantry unit make a free maneuver action and if you control maneuver space they get plus one uh to their speed and can reroll charge distance so if you take the maneuver space with these guys move six then you play that card to activate these guys. You get a free maneuver at speed seven, and then you can charge the unit. I mean, you can cover a ton of ground uh, in one turn with these guys to just get around behind something. And it, when you get berserkers in the flank, uh, you are in deep trouble. Because, <laughs> you know, you have that minus one defense save by default. You hit them in the side or in the rear. You're talking about, you know, you're going to wipe out a unit or, or at least critically just you know take them down uh you know in, in one turn so these guys are just outstanding to play not a lot of staying power but that's not really what they're for uh so you just have to be careful not to get them stuck in with like a bunch of cheaper units and have them kind of get bogged down because even a unit of lannister guards who you know they don't have a ton of offensive output but with the berserkers you know stat line they're gonna be taking a lot of wounds uh just because of their armor save being so bad now um yeah, one of the things that's been difficult is I say they get their great attack, they get their charge in, and they destroy a unit. I'm in a position where now I can counterattack, and if it's down to a point where I'm not sure if I can exactly wipe them off the board in this next attack, and I leave them with only, you know, the first rank left, I'm terrified that they're going to start striking back now with their 10 attack dice and get out some serious wounds when I really just wanted to have that model unit get just, you know, finished off. What's great, too, is, like, these guys are so awesome if you, um, you know, attack a unit that already has taken some damage. Because uh, if you can destroy a unit, then you can take your free maneuver. And what I like to do is, let's say, you know, typical speaking, you have, like, your sort of your battle line that you've moved down the table. Uh, if it's positioned more or less in a straight line, you can use that free maneuver to then punch through the unit that you just destroyed and then turn around so that now none of the enemies can see you, so they can't charge your unit, Potentially, you're lined up for another flank charge uh, in your next activation, next turn. And just rinse and repeat for attachment. Uh. So this is a, (laughs) I speak from experience there. I've had that happen for sure. Um, So a seven point unit. Um, Are you throwing attachments on this? Are you getting enough mileage out of the basic unit? Or do you really want to put an Umber champion or Great John Umber or maybe even Rob Stark in there with this unit? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll tell you what I like is actually the Sworn Sword Captain, because I, I like to keep the, I don't want this unit to get outlandishly expensive. You can definitely put Rob Stark in there, and he makes them really fast and have some really cool abilities. And of course, you get the free, uh, the wolf with that. I think the Sworn Sword Captain is a cool option, because for one point, you get the Order of Martial Training, which is when this unit makes a melee attack after the dice are rolled, the defender becomes vulnerable. So that's going to attach a vulnerable token, which you can then spend immediately or maybe save for later. But then you can imagine now you have an enemy that you're attacking with Sundering, you know, as much as 10 dice, and then they have to reroll the defense saves. You can really put out a lot of hurt with these guys. And that's an interesting point there, because I think a lot of times you just look at the packaging and you're like, oh, yeah, they're they're an Umber unit. I'll put an Umber champion in, in there with them instead with Fury Unleashed. So if the unit has one or more destroyed ranks, it gains Vicious, which is a negative two on panic tests. And if it has two destroyed ranks, the defender also becomes panicked. And you might think, okay, that's the way to go. 
Um, but I think the Sword, Sword, and Captain that you're talking about there, I don't know what the exact numbers are there, but it is an order. But getting those those armor rerolls versus forcing the enemy to take a panic test, if you're rolling 10 dice and they've got to reroll all their armor, that might be much, much better in, in some scenarios than having them just take a panic test at a minus two. Uh, that's what I think. I mean, I think that, that those rerolls, especially, you know, and again, part of my experience has been colored by the fact that I play primarily Stark against Lannister. Uh, is that I'm always thinking about charging, you know, Lannister guards, right? So I find that, you know, the panic effects that the uh, Umber Champion adds, you know, maybe those will be more effective against the Stark unit, right? So if you're attacking a unit of Sworn Swords, I think then in that case, probably the Umber Champion would be better, provided you've taken uh, a rank worth of damage. Uh, but then if not, if you're attacking a unit like a hardened uh, armor unit like a Lannister Guard, then I think the, the Sworn Sword Captain is uh, is the better way to go. Yeah, I know from just deploying when I'm putting my Lannister units down on the board, I want to find out, okay, where is an Umber Champion? Because I can put a Guard Captain across from that and use an order to lose one model and basically negate that ability. And then my unit's armor yeah, is probably exactly. going to carry the day. That's exactly it. Yeah. So that's the thing. You have to think about things like that. It's like, you know, try to plan for your opponents. And I think the Sworn Sword Captain, I mean, he'll never not be effective, right? I mean, there's there's no way to cancel out a vulnerable token, at least at this point. So. All right. That, that also brings us next to what I thought was maybe the coolest looking unit. I really like the idea of like heavily armored knights. And we've got the House Tully Sworn Shields. Now they've got movement four. So they're a little bit slower for the Stark uh, battle line. And they hit on three plus. Their dice line is seven, six, four. They've got three plus armor and morale of six plus. And then their order is shield wall. When this unit is attacked from the front, after attack dice are rolled, automatically block D3 hits. And it's a seven point unit. Now, so for these guys, I haven't really used them that much. I played with them once and I tell you what, they are very good at what they do. Uh, I find that their, you know, their speed is a bit of a problem for what I'm generally trying to, to accomplish with my list. Um, you know, but if you get them onto a, a an objective, uh, those guys are going to hold that point like nobody else. You know, their their morale is good, uh, their attack is good, their defense is very good. Uh, so you know that D three hits is is not insignificant. The biggest problem I have with them is just that for you know a unit of maybe the sworn swords for two less points, I could probably hold a point almost as long while you know saving two points for something else that might make my units a little bit more effective. But we'll see. I mean, there might be some game modes where this becomes more important. Yeah, I was surprised at just how how tough this unit is, but how big of a difference it makes having them be at speed four when you've got a lot of other speed five or six units. Uh, so, you know, in an ideal world, you might have this unit go up and catch an enemy unit, take the charge of an enemy unit, and then have your berserkers charge into the side of the unit they're engaged with. But having them be the slower unit means it's hard for them to get into those positions and pick those fights that they want to set up those engagements for you. Look at a game mode like uh, Game of Thrones, right? So you have your five points laid out. That's sort of like the stock standard game mode that most people play the first time around. Uh, you know, a lot of the times your first couple activations tend to be just kind of straight ahead marches towards the, the objectives because you, know, you got everybody laid out. You only have the six inch deployment zone on a four, four by four foot table. Uh, and generally speaking, you know, it's going to take the sworn shield unless you placed it really close to yourself. It's going to take them at least two turns to get on to that objective um, because, you know, two march actions for them. That's only 16 inches versus a unit of um, sworn swords is 20 inches right you know and and four inches you know may not seem like a massive difference but that's a pretty you know significant change in speed so you're talking about maybe a full turn earlier you could get a unit onto uh, a key objective where these guys 
you know, they may not be arriving until closer to round three. I mean, cause ideally you want them to take, you know, maybe the center objective or a flank objective. Uh, if it's not close enough to these guys, you know, they might not end up doing a whole lot uh, for most of the game. And you're not going to want to put a Rob Stark in here for an additional set of three points to try and get that plus one, uh, the attachment Rob Stark, the young wolf to get that plus one movement because you could be putting that in something else that would be able to deliver damage even more effectively. Right. I th well, I think this is like, you know, sort of the first piece of a, you know, a different theme for Starks, right? Like a different style of Stark army. I feel like the Tully, you know, sort of faction in general, that subdivision is going to see some more development. And then maybe this will make a lot more sense in a Stark army. As it stands right now, which is sort of the core box and the Kickstarter components. I personally, I don't really necessarily want to use them very often, but they are a very effective unit. They can definitely, get in there and do work it's just a question of you know are they really getting the most out of the the cards at this point yeah i do like the the sort of sub themes though within the starks i think that flavor really comes across well with each of the houses having a really distinct style of play and then the ways you can kind of move and put them together i'm wondering if they'll have things come down the line right. like the car starks or some other groups as well i think i think so i think that that's you know ultimately because we already see the umbers right we, we they have a pretty uh, obvious sort of um theme going through there you know we take damage but we get angry the sworn shields like their whole theme is defense because they were the, they were the ones that were they were under siege right for most of mm -hmm. most of the books yeah <laughs> so uh that makes sense right they're they're holding out so that's that's going to be cool i want to see if maybe they have a, a ranged unit one day uh i know we've had the tully cavaliers spoiled in the sense that we know that they exist i don't way think back when stats on them yet. exactly yeah that'll be more of like a heavy cavalry option they're uh, somewhere sure, so. they're somewhere uh, under siege so they're they're waiting maybe they'll break the siege <laughs> yeah, and get exactly. to the stores <laughs> Well, and then we have, uh, so for as far as attachments go for these guys, I, I do like, so if you're going to go whole hog and really try to push the envelope with these guys, you got to go with Mage Mormont. So her, her whole thing is, so she's got order, stubborn tenacity. When this unit passes a panic test, one enemy unit engaged with this unit does suffers D3 wounds. And then this unit gains plus two to morale test rolls. So these guys uh, suddenly become like, you know, you do not want to attack them. <laughs> odds are they're going to block all your attacks anyway. And then if they pass their morale test, you're going to take D3 wounds in return. So they become, you know, really like the ultimate, like kind of almost like a better version of a Lannister guard. Yeah. Know, but, you know, also twice the points. So <laughs> if there's a, if you're playing like a hundred point game or something like that, and you want a 10 point, you know, monster infantry unit, that's 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 a pretty good option. And it's also important to note that it is D3 wounds so that uh, you're not getting an armor save against that. It's going right through. So maybe against oh. some of the uh, more elite units that might do damage. Uh, okay, then we get down to the wolves. Now, these guys have been a serious pain in my butt. Uh, the fact that they can just <laughs> pin down units, yeah. just these wolves coming out of the forest and attacking and making a whole unit of... 12 people stop and try and fight off this creature while a scary unit of berserkers or outriders positions in the corner and, and charges them from the flank or rear. So let's start off with Grey Wind. Uh, movement six, he's got mm -hmm. Stalking Assault. It's two plus to hit and does two dice worth of damage. Now, that doesn't seem like a lot, but it, it can start to wear on you. And then at a three plus armor save, two plus morale, he doesn't care about how amazing and supreme the Lannisters are. Uh, he's got two wounds, and at the start of his activation, he can make a free maneuver action. That makes all the difference. And then adding to that stalk, stalking assault, if attacking an enemy in the flank or rear, that enemy becomes vulnerable. 
that's when those two dice start to add up. Well, I, so I don't even like to necessarily use the two dice, uh, the vulnerable rather, on on him. I like to set up another unit. So I like to get Grey Wind in the flank of a unit, make them vulnerable, and then charge them with Outriders or charge them with Berserkers. Because now you're talking about doing like a ton more damage. But the nice thing is, I mean, you're pretty much going to hit two times almost every time. You're never going to pass. You're never going to fail your morale test. You know they they're not going to stick around that long. You know if it, if a unit decides to just turn around and chop them down, it's not that hard to kill. But you know they're kind of annoying, and they are a free activation, which is massive. You know you can really kind of see where your opponent's going. Let your kind of obvious. All right, I'm going to move my sworn swords up onto these objectives, and then just kind of hold these guys and your cavalry and your berserkers back. And then start hitting them with some some crazy activations and some crazy uh, maneuvers. That's really what I like about these guys is they just give you like a nice free activation, which gives you some more fl- tactical flexibility. And you know they do they can definitely do some damage as well. And and Summer's got the same stat line, but has uh, Brand's Protector. Each time Brand Stark's unit is attached, after that attack is completed, Summer may make one free attack or charge action, targeting the attacker, and rolls plus two dice, so bringing it up to four. Um, is there? Do you have a preference over which individual direwolf you like to take? Um, I know they are attached to a character that has other significant abilities, but have you found you know you like one over the other, or is it just always great just to take both? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, so I guess it, it depends. I think I mean as far as the wolves go, the uh, I think the uh, vulnerable tokens a little bit better. Uh, however, you have to mention Brandon Hodor's ability, which is when Bran or Summer makes a melee attack, you can deal a target D3 automatic hits. So, you know, that's that's pretty significant too, and the free hit. So the difference is, you know, you could technically get Rob Stark uh, and Grey Wind for free. Bren and Hodor, you're taking the attachment version, right? So if Rob Stark's your commander, you know, Grey Wind is free and Rob Stark is free. So, you know, I would say they're both pretty good. I actually like to run both. I like to try to find a way to get both of those guys in there. If I, Like I said, if I can get 40 points out on the table and have five combat units, two wolves, and two NCUs, generally speaking, I'm out activating you by two, at least in the beginning of the game. So that is a massive advantage uh, for the Starks. And not only are you getting those activations, you're most likely also outmaneuvering me, though, as well, with two free units that also have free maneuver actions as part of their standard activation yeah, and you can't ignore them either because i mean if you if you just turn around and go okay well i'm going to focus on the bigger threat you know then i'm getting in behind you now i'm, I'm starting to hit your morale i'm going to force you to trigger your guard captain ability because you're about to take a ton of morale damage or you know we hit the the lannister halberdiers and you know we're picking off two guys and causing morale check they can actually do a ton of damage even though they're you know, not overwhelming on their own, but just, you know, they're a, a nuisance that has to be addressed. And if you're addressing that zero point nuisance, that means it frees up everybody else that I've got. So I, I, I love using the wolves uh, early and often. All right. And that brings us to our last unit. Now, this is not a unit that is out yet, but it has been previewed and it is the House Umber Great Axes. Now they're slow for a Stark unit. They've only got movement of four and they've got two different attacks. So first is Executioner's Fury. It's a two plus to hit. And it's a dice line of 6, 4, 4. And that attack can only be used if the unit begins the turn engaged. And if they are engaged at the start of the turn, defenders do not get defense saves against this attack. So this is going to be devastating against high armor targets. And if this unit has only one remaining rank, the attack gains critical blow. So rolls of 6 cause 2 hits. Now the second attack they have is Mighty Cleave on a 3 plus hit. 8, 6, 6 is the dice line. And Mighty Cleave, for each failed defense save, the defender suffers one additional hit from this attack. 
on the attack does not repeat. So that's going to be scary one against any sort of low armor target. Now these guys actually have better armor than their other berserker counterparts. It's a four plus save, and they're in their morale is a little bit worse than the berserkers at six plus, but still respectable. What do you think is going to be the best use for this unit, and uh, how do you say, how do you think this is going to change up maybe the Stark game plan a little bit? I mean, that's a great question. So it's this is again like sort of an elite infantry unit, and and just as, you know, thinking about it, it, it has I think a lot of the same drawbacks as the Tully Sworn Shields. You know, you kind of want to have the enemy come to you, and then you know you start engaged, so you can start hitting those you know those hits that are not going to result in defense saves. So they're definitely interesting. I, I'd like to see you know I'll have to get them on the table sometime and see how they do. I think that they could be very effective, uh, especially in certain game modes where you know you really want to park them on something. And then, you know, the enemy has to get through that, you know, for my play style and, and it, you know, a, a unit that's moving at a speed of four that really relies on you charging them. You know, that's not really my style, but I think it could, they could be awesome with the right kind of circumstances. So those are all of our units. Now we do have some non-combat units we want to talk about. So guys that are not hitting the battlefield, but will be on the tactics board or at least influencing the game state. And so we've got the start off Eddard Stark, Warden of the North. And his ability, Bravery in the Face of Death. He begins the game with three order tokens on him. And when a friendly unit passes a morale test or successfully charges, you may remove one order token from Eddard to restore up to two wounds to that unit. If that unit has only one remaining rank, restore D3 plus one wounds instead. Now, he's four points. Looking to take NCUs, uh, where does Eddard sort of rank on the list of priorities for you considering your style of play? Uh, towards the bottom <laughs> i don't i you know i think so all right so you know he's you're looking at maybe restoring six wounds which is two activations where you could just drop them on like the wealth space best case scenario if he's healing somebody on one rank you're healing between two and, and four wounds which is better but again you know it's only three tokens for the course of the game for four points i don't feel myself getting that much mileage out of his situation there you know, obviously you're going to make a ton of successful charges with the Starks. You have a pretty good chance of passing some morale tests. So, uh, you know, you'll have plenty of chances to trigger them and you'll definitely get, you know, the, the mileage out of that, uh, the wounds. But I just find like, you know, a lot of the times the Starks, you kind of want to be wounded. You know, there's a certain amount of damage that you want to have taken at that point. So the restoration effect being kind of slow when you're taking you know, potentially a lot of wounds uh, in this game, it really doesn't seem to do that much in general for me so maybe this is something you would you would double down on a house tully sworn shield unit with mage uh and have well, i guess he's four <laughs> points now you're investing you know what almost 14 points into a single unit yeah i don't know i think i think i see some of the problems with that right there all right well what about catlin stark just so, the restoration's a little bit slow the restoration's a little bit slow yeah that's that's Good. true so what about catlin stark the lady of winterfell family duty honor Influence. When this unit claims a tactic zone, you get to attach it to a unit on the board that stays until the end of the round. So when Catlin influences a unit, remove one condition token from them. While influencing a unit, that unit always attacks using its highest attack die value, regardless of remaining ranks. So also four points. Thoughts on Catlin? I mean, I love it. So, right, like, you know, with the Starks, you want to be using combat as often as possible. So she makes your best unit use its best abilities, right? So it's going to be attacking as high as attack value as possible. She can remove a condition token. So if you've got uh, Pycelle throwing weakened tokens out, you can counteract that. And then especially if you start, you know, using the combat space, using some cards where you get to attack with that unit again, you can see that her effect can snowball pretty significantly. So she can really start racking up the kills for you. So I, I think Catelyn's probably 
you know, right up there with the very best NCs for the start. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that makes sense. And and man, really using that with Berserkers, that's going to be pretty scary. Ten dice. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, a little bit cheaper option here is Sansa Stark, Little Bird. So repeating the words, once per game, anytime, search your tactics deck or discard pile for any one card and add it to your hand. Shuffle your tactics deck afterwards. Three points, a little bit more uh... of an economical option. What do you think? Only reason I take her. I mean, her effect, I think, is good. Um, you know, it's it's a chance to pull a card back so that you can take a card that's kind of situational and, and make sure that you have it in the right situation. You know, that's definitely a powerful effect. It's only once per game, though. So it's, you know, it's tough to really rely on it and say with any certainty, okay, this is the moment <laughs> to use my right. card. And I always feel like when that moment arrives, that's when, you know, you have a counterplot in hand. <laughs> but, you know, the fact is she's three points, you know, and I think points are, are, are everything in this game when you're building your list. So if I can s- shave a point off here and turn my, you know, sworn swords into bowmen uh, or my bowmen into berserkers or outriders, that is uh, a pretty big swing. So that's, uh, that's uh, sort of why I would take Sansa. And finally, Roderick Castle, combat veteran, and he's got martial expertise. If you claim the attack tactics location, one enemy combat unit becomes vulnerable. So it's an influence card. You get to put it, attach it to a unit until the end of the round. And while influencing a unit, that unit's melee attacks gain critical blows. Roll of six, do two hits. He is also four points, though. So I'd say I like him a little less than Catelyn uh, in general, but I, I, I still think he's extremely good. The trick is, you know, it's you're kind of forced into claiming the, the combat zone of the tactics board, you know, in order to get the full effect. The influence, obviously, that's going to trigger all the time, but that does limit your flexibility a little bit, you know, so then if your enemy sees that, it's just like seeing Cersei uh, and you're claiming the crown, right? You're like, okay, well, obviously that's what you're going to go for, so I'm just <laughs> going to stop you. So that's, that's the only thing, is like he is missing a a little bit of flexibility but if your opponent isn't paying attention and you claim that or if you're going first obviously claim that combat zone and all of a sudden you know you got a pretty beefy unit going to, to do some damage all right so as the resident stark player um you've had some some pretty decent lists that you've been throwing around that have been causing you trouble and you referenced some of them throughout the podcast today so why don't we uh maybe talk through one of them if you got one handy that we can explore and I just want to say before we do that, that these were built on a song of ice and fire builder.com. So it's a S O I a F builder.com, a great uh, tool for helping you put together some lists and get you ready for battle. So do you have a, a sample list maybe we could look at? Uh, and just a quick word on the builder tool. I mean, the, the heroes who assemble these sites <laughs> and upload all the pages and stuff. I mean, it's thankless work, but honestly, it's so cool that somebody in the community put that kind of work in to, to make something that we can all use and just makes list building so much easier. Uh, than having to dig through your cards every time. Uh, okay, so what I have here is, uh, this is my Stark Wolf list. It's my Wolf Spam list, or I call it my Wham list. This is uh, going to consist of uh, two units of just straight-up Sworn Swords, just regular five-point Sworn Sword units. Uh, I have an Umber Berserker unit with Bran and Hodor, Protector and Ward. I have a Stark Outrider unit, a unit of Stark Bowmen uh, with Rob Stark, the Wolf Lord. That's going to give me a free Summer and a free Grey Wind. And then uh, my non-combat units, I took Sansa Stark at three points and Lord Varys at four. So the idea here is uh, this is a 40-point unit, uh, 40-point army rather, that consists of a total of seven combat units and two non-combat units. 
So generally speaking, with similar sized armies, you are going to be out activating them for the most part, which is awesome. Now you've got the Berserkers and the Outriders are both going to be moving nice and quick. You've got the uh, Brandon Hodor, which can add a little extra dice into the uh, pool for the Berserkers, which is always helpful. And then you've got those wolves that are going to be tying everything up. And then of course, Lord Varus, we didn't really talk about him yet in the unit evaluation, but his ability uh, gives you four order tokens that will allow you to cancel the activation of an NCU, either their you know, ability or the effect on the tactics board, which is huge at the right time. And that's on a three plus uh, dice roll. The idea here is it's kind of canceling what your opponent wants to do, out activating them, getting around behind them, tying them up with wolves, and then just, you know, chopping them down. So I don't know, what, do, what do you think, Chase? What are your thoughts on this I, list? I can say it's definitely a frustrating list to play against because of the activations allowing you to get great positioning and then having units that can help pin down units as I approach, getting those wolves on the side or throwing a vulnerable token on right before another unit charges into them. This is a fun list to play, and I think it's one that actually is a good one to practice with to get used to uh, maximizing your efficiency with using maneuvers on the table. That, that's the goal here. And, and you know, this is the, some of the stuff that I'm experimenting with is just looking at, okay, like how many, how many activations do I want? You know, are the wolves that good? Yes, they are. You know, <laughs> just starting to like piece together uh, some, some theories that kind of run through getting the most out of my Stark uh, army. Now, I know I kind of talked a little smack about the Sworn Swords, and I still think that they kind of suck, but they still fill out the list nicely. They can get to a point and hold it, while all of the stuff that is good will do the damage for me. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for us for this time. We will be following up with more information about the Starks, particularly their commanders, their tactic cards. But for now, we hope you are able to get A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniature game, and the Starks on the table.